This is the Breaking Labels Podcast, and I'm Rosanna Gill. Each episode, we'll discuss labels that have confined the stories of my guests at one point or another and their journeys to thrive beyond them. Some labels are external, and others we put on ourselves as limiting beliefs. But regardless of where the label comes from, we're here to break it because we were meant for so much more. Welcome back to another episode of the Breaking Labels podcast. Um, If you listened to last week's episode, you know this is part two of an ongoing conversation with Joshua Shea, um, who is a recovering porn addict. And it has been a very interesting conversation. That's why we're breaking it into three parts, possibly even four. Um, But before we jump into the episode, I just want to remind you guys of a couple things. One, please write a review if you are enjoying listening to the podcast, whether you want to write a review about this particular episode or series or about the podcast in general. I would be very grateful. Um, Also, if you currently are listening to it on, let's say, iTunes or Spotify, just so you know, we are also now on Pandora and iHeartRadio. And if you want to share an episode of the podcast with anybody in your life who does not have a smartphone, because believe it or not, those people still exist, you can also share a link to the website, breakinglabelspodcast.com, and they can listen to the all the episodes there. So whatever your choice, whatever your flavor, there's a way for you to listen to the podcast. And I appreciate your support. Um, also, don't forget that you can go to the podcast Instagram, which is Breaking Labels Podcast on Instagram. Try to keep it as simple as possible. But you can go there to see pictures and visual aids for any of the conversations that I have, whether it's my own personal stories or the people I chat with. So go check it out and let's jump into the conversation, part two of the conversation with Josh. By the way, this is, I'm going to ask this now. Does it matter if I say pornography addict versus porn addict? Like, I don't know. I think maybe one's more dictionary friendly. Right. I don't care. One's more I, but you know what I you know what I like more than either of those things? What the word recovering before it. Okay. Okay. That's what we're doing for this week. And I can change okay. last week's too. Oh, I didn't even notice. Yeah, I just don't like people to think I'm in active addiction because that would be really messed up that I go on a lot of podcasts and you know, <laughs> do TED talks and stuff. Like, let me tell you how to be a better porn addict. Um, uh, you know what? I should have asked that sooner because I actually was wondering that. Like, what at what point do you say somebody is an addict versus they're in recovery? I think that when you decide to try to fix it, you're in recovery. It's funny okay. you ask that question because about three days into rehab, um, well, I was just, you know, figuring stuff out. Uh, you know, I raised my hand. I'm like, at what point does relapse become using again? You know, how many days can I drink? How many days can I use heroin? How many days can I look at porn or snort Coke or whatever it is that that my drug of choice or substance of choice is? How long can I do that before it becomes using again? Isn't it the first time or no? A lot of people just call that relapse. And there are people who will be like, I went on a weekend bender and they'll say, okay, that you relapsed. You know, at oh. what point, how long do you, how long can you use before your relapse becomes using again? Such a valid, qu- I never thought about that, but that's so yeah. true. Like, yeah. and who decides what that arbitrary number or amount of time right. is? Right, exactly, exactly. You know, that was one of those, that was one of those things where rehab, it, 
points reminded me of church because I'd ask a lot of pointed questions and people would just look at me and be like, uh, we don't have an answer for that. Mm. Like, okay. Okay. That's, that's, that's great. Thanks. What were some of the pointed questions that you asked? I'm, I'm so uh, curious. Well, uh, I, I didn't ask this one, but I thought it was great. Um, there are a lot of people who get forced into rehab. Uh, either mm -hmm. their parents are like, I'm mm -hmm. cutting you off if you don't go get help, or a judge forces somebody there. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I, I would love to see the rates of people who recover under those circumstances, because I don't think they're very high. You no. cannot be forced into recovery. Um, but there was a guy who, who did not like the place. He was a little bit older, um, probably, probably 45 or 50 at the time. And uh, he was not having a good time of it because I think he liked to be the master of his own world and make all his decisions. And one of the things about rehab is you're basically under house arrest. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so at one point he, he blurts out to one of the facilitators of a, uh, of a group. He's like, this is just a bunch of friggin' brainwashing. And the facilitator, or, or yeah, don't, don't you, th he's, don't you think this is just a bunch of friggin' brainwashing? And I'm sitting back going, you know, this was, this was my second time at a rehab. And I was like, you know, he's right. A lot of this is brainwashing. A lot of this is like religion. A lot of this is like political indoctrination. Um, this isn't because we're being taught recovery and being taught that recovery is better than being high on our substance. Uh, but we have to agree with that. That's an opinion. Mm -hmm. Being in recovery is better than being uh, messed up. You know, loving God is better than being an atheist. Being a Democrat is better than being a Republican. Whatever, you know, you have to subscribe to a belief um, to buy into it. And I was like, oh, yeah, that I, think that, I think that's a very valid question. And the uh, moderator or the facilitator barks back at him. Don't you think you need some friggin' brainwashing? <laughs> I was, that's the best answer I've ever that's, heard. I wouldn't have thought that quick. Because he's absolutely right. He's absolutely right that, uh, yeah, we do need our brains washed a bit because they, you know, and... Uh, you know, influence in that. And I, I actually since then have really enjoyed, and this is, you know, a dark look into my psyche. I have really enjoyed some of the documentaries that have been made over the last several years, especially the multi-part ones about cults, because they remind me of religion. They remind me of rehab. They remind me of 12 step rooms, mm -hmm. you know, just when you, it's it, the, the idea of submitting mm -hmm. to a doctrine that is not provable is 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 an interesting thing for me because it's hard for me to do as mm -hmm. somebody who roots himself in reality and science and and whatnot but when it comes to something like uh you know, and I'm not even talking the real crazy cults like Heaven's Gate or like like the Branch Davidians, but something like that Nexium cult that was in uh, Albany, oh. New York, mm -hmm. which I don't even know if he set out to start a cult or just 10 years into it. He looked around and was like, oh, my God, this is a cult. I created mm -hmm. a cult here. Um, you know, seeing people sucked into that kind of stuff, having been to recovery and often extolling its virtues almost blindlessly without thinking sometimes makes me wonder, you know, 
if is that why I walked away from 12 step groups because I can't just stand there and you know chant the mantras and whatnot I was um, just about to ask if that is if that is something that you have a not a difficult time reconciling but like that does there's kind of a disconnect how do you move forward in recovery like what does recovery look like for you if it is not through a 12-step program if it is not tied necessarily to yeah. that well like like i think i mentioned at the end of your last episode or i'll just mention it now for those who haven't tuned in and you really they really should tune in because it was just fantastic um Agreed. brilliant piece of podcasting history <laughs> Um, I think that uh, I, I, I got into rehab twice and there's a joke that uh, it's the low budget rehabs, that rehab is just a cheap uh, trip to uh, 12 step rooms or a cheap trip to AA. The first rehab I went to in, in California every day at the end of the day, and this was, it was a pretty low key one. I mean, it was at like this 1950s hotel in Palm Springs. Like it looked like straight out of Mad Men. Um, I mean, it was just, it was just, you know, Bob Hope probably enjoyed the place, you know, 75 years earlier. Um, and they were really, really low key, which was perfect for me at the time. Uh, but at the end of the day, it was like, okay, get in the van. We're going to go to rehab or we're going to go to, we're going to go to AA or we're going to go to NA or we're going to go to whatever one we're going to that night. And the van would bring you there and you were just at a regular AA meeting or NA meeting in town. Um, my second rehab actually had those meetings on campus with just the people who were there. And I didn't like those as much with it just being, just being the residents of the rehab kind of running their own meeting. I liked the one that was out in public and some of the people that I met at the rehabs or not the rehabs at the 12 step rooms in Palm Springs, I thought were terrific. Great people. Had I stayed out there, I would have been in touch with them. Um, I might have stayed in the 12 step group, uh, the Alcoholics Anonymous group that I was that uh, I frequented um, in Palm Springs, but I got back to Maine and I went to oh probably five AA meetings and none of them clicked. I went to like different meetings mm. and and there were different. One you read from the book. One you just go around and share what happened that week. Or one is extra God based and. And uh, I went, I went to a couple of these meetings and I just did not click with the people there who, who you know, were from around here, which is weird because you think I'd click with them better. But hmm. I spent, I spent, yeah, I probably went to five or six meetings over about a month. And uh, I finally just ended up telling my wife that, uh, that uh, I can't, I can't keep doing this. If you hear my dog, I apologize. No, it's fine. Uh, I, I love it. So then what yeah, did so, you do after that? So, so I, I, well, I, I liked a lot of the basics of, of AA and I liked some of the basics of SAA. I looked into a little bit of SLAA. Okay. What's SAAA and SLAA? Or I think I put too many A's in. I did. I think so. Yeah. That's not the automobile association. Right. The AAA. Yeah. It's, it's the, it's the AAA for sexy people. It's uh, it's SAA is Sex Addicts Anonymous, which is oh, okay. where porn people go. SLAA is Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. Oh, um, I didn't know this was a thing. Yes, you tend to find a few more women in that group, but you also tend to find the more, uh, I guess you'd say, uh, 
God, I don't know what the right word is, which is great for our purposes. Um, you don't find sensitive guys, I guess you'd say, <laughs> guys who are a little bit more um, needy, Emotive? a little bit more codependent. Oh, um, oh, yeah, no, no, no. I mean, just just guys who put everything into their relationship, whether oh. whether gay or straight or whatever. Just guys who put so much into their relation it's all about the love it's all about the intimacy it's all about the other person it's all about how they touch your soul and some of I, a lot of the people there what's that i dated one of those i just oh yeah yeah wow. well, well he, he was probably known as a snag beforehand because that's sensitive new age guy oh um, i've never heard that either I'm learning so many terms yeah yeah wait well if you want to talk about jail i can teach you a lot of stuff i oh. i i I can get you high with an orange peel and a staple. Um, what? And uh, yeah, I'll tell you that story next. Oh, um, jeepers. And, and, but yeah, yeah. The uh, I enjoyed the 12 steps for the basics, but when it got to people sharing their stories, I felt like so many people were not really in recovery. They were in limbo. I saw people Ooh. who were who had not drank for 15 or 20 years but who clearly were still 100% about alcohol. And they hadn't dealt with any of their deeper issues about what caused them to be a, an, an alcoholic. And, oh. you know, as I mentioned last time, you know, I truly believe that you got to go deal with that trauma. I mm -hmm. totally believe you got to go figure out what made you the addict. And uh, if, if you don't do that, you're in a holding pattern. You know, mm -hmm. you're white knuckling it and congratulations on white knuckling it for 20 years. But all you're doing is hanging out with other people who are white knuckling it, you know, going bowling and praying that you don't drink that night. And, yeah. and, and the successful people that I know, some do use that program, but everybody I know who's been successful has had a therapist, number one, mm -hmm. and has dealt with some kind of traumatic issue and worked their way through it. So mm -hmm. When I got the basics of the program, and there are some good things to take from that program, uh, but I once I got the basics and once I, I got some foundation, I felt like I didn't need to stick around. Uh, it was time for me to go into, you know, maybe more meet my kind of people and do the kinds of things that, you know, make me feel good. Instead, you know, instead of going to 12 step meetings, I go to podcast interviews mm. and, and tell my story. Mm. You know, I think, I really think that this is a form of recovery for me. Mm -hmm. I, I write, I write about it and I feel good that I know I am hopefully helping people. Uh, you know, that, that's, I, I, I hate to admit this, but I think helping people and helping myself is kind of on the same level with me doing all this because this keeps it top of mind for me. You know, I talk about pornography or I write about pornography almost every day. I talk about having been an alcoholic or write about it almost every day. A lot of time I talk about the fact that I have bipolar disorder. That reminds me to take my pills and remind me that I'm not normal like the rest of the civilians. And I need to, Rest. you know, I, I need to, uh, I need to take these pills, even if I am feeling normal. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's all, uh, you know, that's all, um, Stuff, stuff that I have to do. And, and, and then, like I said, I'm, I was, a, I was a journalist. So there was a lot of research. I need to learn as much as I can about this. So I feel like I have a handle on it. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, I don't want to know, you know, okay, well, you've got a, alcohol was a chemical issue, 
brought on by childhood trauma. Okay, let's move on with our life. And it's like, how you move on with your life after hearing that? I need right. to dissect that, analyze it, you know, swish it around, spit it out and decide, you know, what I'm going to do with that moving forward. So, and, 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 and then it evolves. Like I, I uh, you know, I wrote that second book and I had so many uh, partners of porn addicts. Oh, right. I wrote the first book, had so many partners of porn addicts contact me that I started interviewing them. And I, I, I met my co-author and we wrote that second book specifically for partners. Now that was never, ever a plan. Now, what but was the it, second one called? The second one is called, he's a porn addict. Now what? Now what? Okay. And it's just a simple Q and a for the females. And it doesn't have to be female, but it's, it's just so overwhelming. It seems right for marketing purposes. Um, it's, it's, it's for the um, partner who has just recently discovered or is strongly suspecting that their partner is a pornography addict. And I wrote that and I pitched the idea to my co-author who's a licensed marriage and family therapist uh, because all of these people, almost all women were coming to me and saying, okay, you were a porn addict. I want to talk to you about my husband. You tell me what he's really saying here. You tell me what he's really doing. So I, I, I never thought I'd do that. I ended up doing that. That book has done very, very well. I can um, imagine. It's done very well. So in December, um, I went and I spent, I didn't go anywhere. I'm sitting in the seat you see now, but I spent <laughs> about, I spent about two hours a day studying to become a certified betrayal trauma uh, uh, coach. Um and now I'm working with not just porn addicts, but I'm working more with women who have dealt with betrayal trauma because of their addict partners. And I think that they like it that I bring a different perspective because I was there as an addict. And mm -hmm. I, you know, that's why when, when I pitched the book to, uh, to my friend, Tony, who's the therapist, he said, you know, I hear all the time from people, you don't know how this really feels, whether it's porn addiction or mm -hmm. whether uh, someone was cheated on or, you know, whatever it was, you don't know what this really feels like. Um, and I mentioned that to my therapist and she said, yeah, you're absolutely right. We hear that at least once a day. Mm -hmm. And I said, and, and it was funny because at that point in time, I was a lot less um, willing to give advice on what to do next or what should you do. I feel, you know, I've, I've learned a lot, so I'm more comfortable doing that. Um, so I was always kind of weirded out. I didn't mind telling my story. I didn't mind interpreting what the, the addict was saying to the woman, but I never wanted to be like, well, do this and then this and then this, because that wasn't where I was. So he and I wrote that book. The subtitle is um, an expert and a former addict answer your questions. Oh. And it's all Q&A format. We went to betrayal trauma websites. He wrote down the questions he gets asked the most. I wrote down the questions I got asked the most. I asked, I threw it up on a bunch of internet sites. What questions do you have? And we took all the questions and boiled them down to like 60 of them. And that book got so much positive feedback that I created an online course, just like a $30 thing through, through Udemy. And uh, that went very big. So I was like, okay, I need to actually learn this stuff. And so I went and I got certified. And now 
either after I talk during my early morning uh, podcasts or before I talk to you today, I, uh, I, was, I was dealing with that and dealing with some clients in that way. Because especially with this pandemic, there are so many people who this has hit. And well, there's, a lot you... of, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of resources for the porn addict Mm-hmm. And there were a fair amount of resources for women who were stuck with, who were experiencing betrayal trauma, but specifically betrayal trauma because of porn addiction. Mm-hmm. There's not, it's not out there. And uh, can you take half a step back and explain what exactly is betrayal trauma? Yes. Betrayal trauma is the trauma that comes from being betrayed by someone very close to you. Now, okay, this so it doesn't take- have to be a partner. It doesn't have to be, you know, if you were to, you know, your parents as a little kid tell you that they're going to be with you always, and then they get killed in a car crash, you could actually experience betrayal trauma because you feel like they lied to you. Mm -hmm. You know, you can, there are people who have been, uh, you know, a lot of the people who have been abused as far as uh, religion and clergy issues go, a lot of that is betrayal trauma. Oh, I, um, yes, I, I didn't and, think about that. But yeah, obviously, how could it not be? Exactly. And what's in, and, and with a lot of the women that I deal with, they're married to these guys for, you know, four, 10, sometimes 20 years. So they think they have this picture of who the guy is. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, it turns out, he spends five nights a week looking at porn or his phone is he's going to get a new phone phone because it's so full of porn and they had no idea that he was looking at it but they have they have an issue with porn or they have communicated they don't like that or whatever it is or it just completely sideswipes them mm-hmm. and suddenly they ask themselves well who is this guy what yeah. else don't i know oh Has, has this guy been lying about everything? You know, what, what is he omitting? Um, does he have a second life? And, and that those questions start to really hit hard and hit fast. And, and that betrayal hits. And I firmly believe that uh, if you do not deal with your betrayal trauma, you very likely will become an addict. You know, it's very really? easy. You don't, you don't de- well, if you're dealing with all this pain, you know what's good for it? Wine at least in your mind, you know what, you know, what's good for it. Maybe, maybe just, you know, a little bit of weed at the end of the day, you know, what's good for, it? you know, a lot of unhealthy behaviors will numb you out Yes. to not have mm-hmm. to deal with it. And I believe if you look back at my story, um, you know, from the abuse that I had when I was a little kid at the babysitter, I discovered porn and I discovered alcohol. And I think what I was look, I didn't, I was betrayed because mm-hmm. I had, this caregiver, my parents entrusted me with this caregiver. They failed in that aspect. This caregiver was both, you know, mentally abusing me and sexually abusing and doing sexually uh, inappropriate things to me or the kids around me. Well, an adult isn't supposed to do that. Mm-hmm. So I felt betrayed by her. And I think that's part of why I became an addict was because I had a deep sense of hurt from these adults who were supposed to keep me safe and I couldn't verbalize it and it didn't go down that road. But, but once I found this other stuff that relieved me and Mm -hmm. made me forget the betrayal and made the betrayal become repressed, 
well, then I could just go on and become an addict. And that's one of the reasons, you know, when I talk to these, these women and I coach these women, it's like, you know, let's work through this because you're going to figure out a way to deal with this either way. You know, mm-hmm. you're not going to allow yourself to be this hurt forever. Eventually you're going to numb the hurt if you don't fix the hurt. So how do they fix it? Is it through conversations about it and asking all the questions that they probably don't know if they should or can ask? Well, I mean, a lot of it does have to do with how they were betrayed. Are they mm. still in, are, is the betrayer still part of their lives? Has the oh. betrayer owned what they've done? Um, and then, and then oh. there's also, you know, and in some cases, you know, that can't be done. Cause like I said, somebody's dead. Um, or, or, or somebody goes away, you know, ab- abandonment of, you know, your, your father or mother runs away when you're five years old and you start to go to school and everybody's got a mommy and daddy there, but only your daddy or only your mommy comes to the events. And so you, you feel betrayed by that parent. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it, it, it's very different, but one of the things you have to do is embrace it and is understand why does this make you feel this way? What is this really about? Okay, you know, you, when you were uh, five years old, your mom left you. What did that feel like to that little boy or that little girl? You know, mm-hmm. what, what, what? And then, and, and as silly as it sounds, but this works is that you actually, you know, have a conversation with that little kid. You know, imagine yourself giving that little kid a hug because you can objectively, rec- you know, you can objectively recognize it was not your fault when you're five, mm-hmm. but you didn't know that back then. You didn't have the ability to process that back then. So you know what? You're going to kind of go back to being five years old and process it. Now, if you're, if it's a situation like I'm dealing with a lot of these women, what you have to do is more like uh, talk about self-care and talk about boundaries. You know, oh. what, what will you allow? What is not negotiable? If, if he crosses a line, you know, if he crosses a line, what are you going to do and mm-hmm. are you capable of doing it? Oh. You know, the, one of the big problems is that a lot of women will set up boundaries, but then the, the husband cro- or the boyfriend crosses them and they don't do anything. So what happens then? Well, then your word is meaningless. If, if, if um, you plan to tell your husband, you tell your husband that he has to go to, uh, see his therapist every week, and he has to go to at least one uh, SAA meeting per week, um, or you will not sleep in the same bed with him. He will be on the couch, and he doesn't go to these meetings. He doesn't go to see his therapist, and you're still letting him sleep in bed with you. Well, your word and your boundaries mean nothing. No, but okay. So let's go back to what you said earlier. If, if it, somebody's not getting help because they really want to, like, even if you, you maintain that boundary and you say, you have to go to these meetings, you have to do this or else you won't sleep in bed. So what if he's just doing that so he can get back in the bed and not because he genuinely wants to make a change or address any of the, the underlying issues? It's better that he's listening to that stuff than nothing at all. You know? Okay. It so took me, it, it took me seven, eight days of 24 seven rehab before it clicked that they were talking about me, you know? Really? It, it, yeah. I was, I was in, I went to, uh, I first went to, um, Laguna beach 
at their detox center um, because you have to show up drunk to rehab. And uh, so I had uh, for oh. my, did I not tell you that story? No. I thought I did. Yeah. So, so if you want to get into detox and you want your insurance to pay for it, a lot of insurances need to have it reported that you showed up blowing drunk. You're so kidding they, me. I thought you were being hook, sarcastic. No, they hook you up to a breathalyzer and what? you have to blow drunk for your insurance company to cover at a certain rate. So that is the most the, bass backwards thing I have. The last, the last time I ever had alcohol it was about two blocks away from the rehab that I was from the rehab slash detox I was going to. And my brother who lived in LA, he came and picked, he picked me up at the airport and drove me down to Laguna beach. And we stopped at the Palm Springs, not the Palm Springs, the Laguna beach liquor store. And I bought a couple small bottles of tequila and I bought one of the like 24 ounce things of uh, Red Bull. And I just sat in his car and just pounded them both because I tried to drink in the airports and I tried to drink in the plane, but it was such a long trip that I didn't know if I was going to blow legal or not. So I needed to blow- I needed to blow illegal. And now that I know if, if you don't want to actually drink and you want to do that, all you have to do is like put uh, hand sanitizer around your lips and oh. the alcohol you can, you can blow real strong. Yeah. Uh, but who, who knows that? Like who, and who's going to think, Oh, you know what? No, if I'm going to get know, into this you... rehab and have insurance covered, I got to rub hand well, sanitizer. Around well, they, they, they will, they will tell you in a certain, well, they, they'll, they'll tell you, you need to, uh, for, for your insurance to be the best situation, um, you will need to show up uh, inebriated, and because oh, they don't, they don't want to tell you show up. They don't want to say be drunk, but they need they want to skirt around it. So insurance will do the best for them. Um, that is so bananas, yeah. That's okay. the that's so you the, showed up drunk. The, so I had I had to show up drunk to rehab. Um, but anyway, I was I was there in Laguna Beach for about five or six days, and it just wasn't clicking. And I said, you know, I think I need to go to a different place. I just, it, it was just so foreign and I, all the crazy stuff was happening back home. And I said, they said, well, we have, a, we have a facility in Palm Springs that's a lot more low key than this. And I was like, okay, low key is what I need. And so they sent me to the low key place. And after about two days there of listening to people, and these were true Southern Californian chill people. And uh, I listened to them and it was like, okay, I don't know why it clicked, but after- I was going to ask, two, what was it? So after, there was I, a- I, I don't even know exactly what it was. I think that I learned that there were so many different kinds of alcoholics. You know, I grew up, and this sounds stupid when I say it out loud, but I grew up picturing alcoholics. My parents didn't drink. A drop never touched their lips. So wow. I, didn't, I didn't see drunk people up close when I was young. Um, and I- pictured an alcoholic being that, you know, stumbling guy coming out of the saloon in a Bugs Bunny Yosemite Sam cartoon mm-hmm. who falls down into the dirt road and he's got a bottle that has like two X's on it and you can almost see the fumes <laughs> coming out of it. And my parents, three of my four grandparents were alcoholics. So my that's why my parents never touched the stuff. Oh. But my parents also raised me to believe that if alcohol ever touched my lips, I would be a skid row bum within 15 minutes. And that's part of when I drank and it didn't happen. There was a lot of trust lost in my parents, I think in my teenage years, 
because I learned so much of what they told me was perhaps for caution, but mm-hmm. it was complete BS. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I, first time I drank, I, I got drunk at that wedding, felt great. I actually didn't get sick. Um, and uh, gee, it sounds like they were completely lying. Well, if mm-hmm. they're completely lying about that, what else are they lying about? Um, mm-hmm. so, uh, not and then to, you just not keep to, testing boundaries. Well, exactly, and exactly, water. exactly. Not to blame them at all for that, but, um, you know, that, that, that I think is how that happens, but yeah, you know, it's, it, it is the boundary thing. It is, they need to be able to enforce the boundaries because their word is meaningless if they're unable to. And mm-hmm. yes, he may not be getting into the kind of recovery you want, but then you have to ask yourself this question. Do you want to stay with somebody who is not going to be in recovery, who is not going to change who they are as a person? And one of the funny thing, not funny, but one of the ironic things is I'll have a lot of women contact me. And after 10 minutes, I can tell them your husband or boyfriend isn't a porn addict you just hate porn. And he keeps looking at it, not because he's an addict, but because he's just an asshole. And, oh. and he's looking at it for recreational purposes. You know, the, you, you've you caught him twice now. And okay, I was going to say, how do you, you looked, how, what you are looked the... At, yeah, you looked at his history on his computer and you saw both those two times and there was one other time that you didn't catch him that he didn't erase. And so it's like, you know what? Okay, so it's, if it's, it's a few times... Not an addict. Well, well, I I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to define it for anybody because it's more, it's it's less about frequency and duration and more about uh, why you're using and, and what, what you're solving by using it. Most people who use porn solve, use it to solve the orgasm issue. Uh, it, It helps. Okay. And, but like I said, last time, Porn addiction takes place in the mind. I am soothing what's you know in between my ears, not between my legs. Uh, it's all about it's all about up there. It's not about an orgasm. Um, can you walk me through like if you were having a conversation with a woman right now because she's called yeah. she's listening to this episode and she calls you and she says I think my I think my boyfriend's a porn addict. Okay. What are the what how my number one question is what makes you think this. Okay. You know, what makes you think this? Can we, Does can we look... role play? Can we pretend? Sure. I... You be me and I'll be the lady. Oh, okay. We know. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Sure. Okay. So you have, you, you, you play whatever. I don't know anything about your situation. Okay. So I go, okay. You know, thank you for uh, getting in touch with me, Rosanna. I know that porn addiction can be rough. Um, especially on the partner who doesn't mm-hmm. deserve any of what happens. Um, but what makes you think that he's actually addicted to pornography? Well, I, I've found um, a couple windows open um, on on three or four different occasions. Um, and and the the nature of what was in the windows was was disturbing to me. Was it uh, quote unquote, normal pornography? Or were there things about the sexuality or the legality of it that were freaking you out? What do you call normal pornography? Uh, consenting adults or what appears to be consenting oh. adults. Now, they can be wearing costumes. They can be doing exotic things. But I'm saying that he, if, you're, if you believe that your husband uh, is a straight man, was it all gay pornography? Um, doesn't necessarily mean he's gay, but I'm, I'm curious to get at what was it that was disturbing you about it? Well, 
um, I just I don't I don't see why he even needs to look at porn. If we have a, a good relationship, why is he looking at porn? Doesn't that's that mean the, it's an addiction? That's a very valid question. And it doesn't mean it's an addiction. Do you know what addiction means? No. What does it mean? Addiction, and there are a lot of different definitions, but what I like to use for an addiction is that you feel a tug towards this material. Your brain is telling you that you need it. You can't walk away from it. For instance, when you're thirsty, um, you feel like you need water. Mm -hmm. Well, sometimes you can't get to water, so you become more thirsty. And Mm. then sometimes you can't get to even more water. And you start to think, I'm going to die if I don't get water soon. Now, you're probably not going to die. We know that humans can go two, three days without water before they start shutting down. But sometimes just six, seven hours feels like you're going to die. That thirst, multiply that by 100 and you have what the feeling of addiction is because your brain is constantly screaming to use something. Now, depending on what you look at, 20 to 35% of men who are likely your husband's age are addicted or look at too much pornography and believe they may have a problem. Has he ever mentioned having a problem to you or has he ever even mentioned his pornography use? No, no, he's never mentioned it. I've only found it. Now, are you opposed to pornography on a moral level or are you opposed to him looking at it because he's with you? Both. Okay, so it's moral. Mm-hmm. Any man who's any man who looks at porn should not be looking at it. It doesn't actually have anything to do with you. Correct. Okay. So how you said that you've seen some some uh, windows. How many times did you see those? Three. Three over how long of a period? A couple weeks. Okay. And you never? How long have you been with him? A year. Okay. So it's just a couple of weeks you've noticed. Has he had windows open before or is this just something new he's doing with his computer? I don't know. This is the, um, this is the first time I've, I've found it. I don't know if he's had it open before. Okay. Did you search his history? Oh, no. That's bullshit. You're lying. <laughs> That's true. That would be a lie. <laughs> yeah. But okay, so for clarification, for anybody, yes. I, what, I don't what, think there's anything I'm, wrong with it morally. But no, okay, I want to. What, what I'm getting, what I'm getting to, is that after about five or ten more minutes of just having you answer very fact-based questions, mm. what I, I will, I will, I, I think you're talking about somebody who left his porn open. Mm-hmm. Um, one of one of the next questions I was going to have or line of question was going to be about your communication about porn with him. Oh, and have had you talked about your distaste for porn with him? Does he know about that? Have you ever watched pornography with him? Um, some of those questions around uh, the discussions or communication you've had about pornography. And then I probably would ask a few questions about the relationship in general, you know, does, is he out with, you know, does he still do fun things with you? Does he seem to isolate himself, you know, with the computer? Does, you know, his access and that kind of stuff. And finding it, how much has changed in six months or a year. Um, okay. 
and, and find out how behaviors have changed because with addiction, behaviors change a lot. That's what I was going to ask is you place, the common... you place the, you place the addiction ahead of things you once loved you or you once liked. Um, you okay. know, for anybody, for anybody who's listening, um, there's a, there's a great experiment you can try, whether try it tomorrow, try it this weekend. If you want to feel like, if you want to know what it feels like to be an addict. And um, I invented this, so trademark. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> when you wake up in the morning, you know, Saturday morning, take your, take your smartphone, turn up the volume, turn up every notification, every buzzer, Whoa. every ding, everything. Turn them all the way up. And then take a post-it note and put it right across the screen. And then put that phone next to you and you can't answer it. You can't answer it when it rings. You can't answer it when somebody likes your Instagram post. You can't answer it when a text comes in. You can't answer it when you get a Facebook ding or a Snapchat chime. I would want to throw my phone against a wall Um, Well, just to make the ding stop if I can't look at it. Well, but that's, that's, that's actually you want to look at them, right? Mm-hmm. And, oh yeah. And the people I know who have done this generally last five to six dings or three hours tops. Whatever, whatever happens first, five or six dings or three hours. Now, why do you need to look at your phone? I imagine, I don't know how old you are, but I imagine you remember a time very well when we didn't all have our iPhones and Android strapped to us. If mm-hmm. somebody, if somebody died they had to call your family the old fashioned way. And if you weren't home, you just found out they died later. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the world that we lived in and we were fine. We now live in a world where so many people, especially the younger ones, and especially the females, if you look at the statistics, are absolutely addicted to their phone. Mm-hmm. And I think so many of us who are even older don't realize how addicted we are. But every time you hear that little ding, it's like, ooh, attention, ooh, attention. Mm-hmm. And that is a slight hit of dopamine. Um, that is the, ooh, pleasure, ooh, pleasure. It's a Pavlov dog thing with, with your chimes or your, your uh, vibrations with your phone. You, you get that instant satisfaction. And by looking at it, you get that relief. You mm-hmm. don't look at it. You leave the post-it note there hour goes by two hours you are jonesing to pull that off to see what somebody said and you know when you pull it off it's just going to be one of your friends talking about going to the gym and you could give two craps about it or what or what one of your friends had for their protein shake for breakfast and and you know it's not important but you still have to pull it off and look at it because you want that dopamine hit now multiply that times 50 there's your addiction that's the addiction to porn. That's the addiction to drugs, gambling, whatever it is. That's the brain chemistry going on. It's needing to look at your phone on supersized steroids. So then when, when somebody, if, if I, we had role played and I was calling and it really was an addiction, then it would be, the answers would have been more like, you know, whether they talked about it or not, like, you know, all of a sudden he, he pulls away a lot and he doesn't want to be involved with the family or right i and i I will never flat out say yes you have an addict Mm -hmm. or no you don't have an addict 
I will say based on my personal experience and based on the experience of people I have talked to um, who have been in your situation and other addicts I know, I think it leans more towards this way. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I talk to people once and they walk away and I never talk to them again. I often will say, let's schedule something for a follow-up. I'll contact you in a week or two. I just want you to look out for these kinds of things. Because once you're aware, you're mm -hmm. either going to see a hundred of them or you're going to mm -hmm. see nothing. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of times I will write to someone and, and a lot of times she will say, well, you know, it, it, I think this, this is just something where he's not doing, he, he likes porn and he tries to hide it from me, but I don't think he's got an addiction. And it's like, okay, well then you have a different set of issues to deal with. You have to deal with a boyfriend or husband who's lying to you or mm -hmm. who's not respecting your wishes or whatever road you're going to go down with that. But that road is not addiction. Mm -hmm. So well, now when, when you've had the conversations with someone who comes back and says, Oh my gosh, it is an addiction. What now? Well, I usually, you know, for does he know it's an addiction? Let's, oh. let's, let's, let's talk about you bring up to him that it's an addiction. There is a, there is a pretty big uh, percentage of men who at that point will absolutely admit it. It shocks, it shocks women to hear this. And I'm it shocked. Shocks, yeah. And it shocks them. And you are a woman and it shocks <laughs> them even more. It shocks them even more when they find out that their husband or boyfriend is one of these guys who is like, oh, thank God, you know, thank God, you know, that takes so much pressure off of them. Mm -hmm. And you can then you can then handle it really well, or you can handle it really poorly. But mm -hmm. it helps that, that, you know, them, a lot of them will admit it. Now, there is a majority who will not admit it, or who will deny it. And, and many of them believe that many of them are not, uh, lying to you outright they've probably never had this concept introduced to them mm -hmm. you know it's like if i tell you know roseanne i think you're a gambling addict you're like, no and then you think well gee i do buy lottery tickets every week and i'm always putting a you know something down on college basketball and you know i guess regular people don't do this mm -hmm. um you know so you you know there, there's time to process and i say plant that seed if he comes out as he is a full-on addict um you know, it's, I, I always say, number one, find somebody who, have him find somebody he can talk to who has been there, much mm -hmm. like myself, or go to a 12-step meeting and find somebody he clicks with who is further along in recovery or find, find somebody online to talk to um, in, in one of the many message boards that are out there. Just find somebody who he can talk to who will not judge him, who will not embarrass him who will not shame him. Mm -hmm. You know, there is, it is, it is amazing when I talk to both a porn addict or a, a, a woman suffering with betrayal trauma, the first time you talk to them, you just see this like weight lift off their shoulders. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they, they are so happy that they can speak openly about it. Mm -hmm. You know, I tell, I tell the porn addicts, you know, I don't care what you looked at. Odds are I looked at it and I looked at worse, you know, or I, I've seen it twice as much as you have. I don't care what you're into. I don't care if you're going to tell me you weren't into it. I don't care. 
I know we're not the porn that we looked at. Um, mm. And, 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 you know, why ever, why you chose whatever, Hey, mommy issues, whatever I, daddy issues, what, you know, confused All about your sexual, issues. confused about your sexuality. I don't know why you're looking at what you're looking at. Maybe you're just super horny. I don't know, but whatever it is that you were looking at, um, I don't care. I'm not going to talk about it because it doesn't matter. You arrived here. Let's talk about here now. Mm. And, and and just hearing that I'm not going to bother them about their porn. And I really don't care about their use. Or when I talk to a woman who's dealing with betrayal trauma, and when I say, okay, I'm going to let you know where he's completely full of crap and where he's telling the truth. For instance, when an addict says, I do love you, I absolutely love you. I didn't tell you all this stuff because I didn't want to hurt you. The response from a lot of angry women are, oh, that's a bunch of crap. If he didn't want to hurt me, he wouldn't do any of this. Well, um, the fact is, he does love you and he mm -hmm. doesn't want to hurt you. You know, it's he, he's he's trying to protect you. He's doing the stupidest thing possible, but that's what addicts do. Mm -hmm. We we assess situations and we try to figure out how do we not get in trouble? How do we not draw attention to what we're doing? How do we not hurt the people around us? How do we not let them know this is going on? So I'm going to tell you that I absolutely love you. I'm going to tell you I don't want to hurt you. And that's not a lie. That's not gaslighting. Mm -hmm. Gaslighting is making you feel like you're crazy. You know, oh. when, when I tell you that, when I tell you that I love you and I care for you, odds are if we've been married 10, 12 years, odds are if we have a, excuse me, a couple kids, I do love you. You know, um, even if I'm a sex addict and I'm out there getting massages or having intercourse with other women, you know, that is about what's happening in my mind, not about the actual act of sex. Um, and that, Which, that's, that's, that's the thing that, you know, is really important to drive home the first time that you talk to somebody that mm -hmm. whether, whether it's that you are an addict and we don't have to call them addict. Like I'm not an addict. Okay, fine, fine. You, you're a compulsive user or you're a hobbyist. I don't care what you want to call it. It's just, a, it's just a label and uh, we'll call you whatever you want, but to, to, to let them know that this is not a failure of character. That's a huge thing. Addicts, uh, women who stay with addicts, they're not bad people. They're not evil people. Um, they're they they sick people and sick people need help. And that's that. And that's, that's a very simple thing. But a lot of people have never heard that before. Right. Just saying that out loud, you know, you can see in there, it blows them away. Well, but I think that it's also you have a lot of people and especially in this situation, you have a lot of women who are making a false equivalent of if he loves me, he would never do these things. And like, that's not the case. It isn't no, love. And, and, and that's a that's a that's a valid concern because it seems that way on the surface. And mm -hmm. he, if he's and, and there's a uh, paradox where um, I think that it's almost worse to be the partner of somebody who isn't a porn addict that looks at a lot of porn because Ooh. they are using it to replace you or they are, if, if they're turning you down for, for, you know, intimacy, um, oh. if they're over sex, they may do both. But, uh, if they're turning you down for intimacy, but they're not an addict, they're using the pornography, um, you know, for masturbatory purposes, they're using it strictly to get off. 
and, and that's a whole other host of issues that you know you need to deal with your marriage counselor or relationship counselor with. But if you're the partner of a porn addict, you've got a guy who's actually, you know, for lack of a better term, sick in the head mm-hmm. and is not using pornography to replace the intimacy with you or replace the love with you or replace, you know, the orgasm with you. He's trying to quell the storm that's going on in his head. And even though that's a tough storm to quell, I always tell the women that I'm working with that, you know, at least, you know, it's not something that you said, don't use this. It's not something that you said, you know, uh, I, I, I am opposed to this and they broke it because they just don't care about you. They broke this thing because it's like needing the water. Mm -hmm. It's like needing to look at your phone. It's such a strong magnetic pull. They don't even have the first idea how to break that magnetic pull. Put two magnets together and then tell me how to break that magnetic pull. Scientists still can't tell you how to do it. It's impossible. It's not impossible with with, uh, recovery, but it feels that way to the addict at first. Mm -hmm. And he was the other most important thing to recognize is that he was a porn addict or the seeds of porn addiction were already well deep rooted when he met you. Okay. So tune in next week for part three of this conversation with Joshua Shea um, and his experience as a recovering porn addict. Uh, next week, we're actually going to talk about sex addiction, Florence, Florence Nightingale syndrome, and also the impact of OnlyFans during the pandemic, not just from a user perspective, but from a content creator perspective and how there is probably a good likelihood that someone you know is on OnlyFans or is creating content on OnlyFans. So stay tuned for next week. And in the meantime... There's links to Josh's website if you want to reach out and you have questions about maybe you think that you are a betrayal trauma victim or you have questions about a partner or your own possible porn addiction. So the link to his website is in the show notes uh, as well are the links to his books if you want to check those out. And I hope you come back for part three next week. Mm -hmm.